Y'all, most of us know that great Disney movie, The Lion King. Fairly early on in the movie, young Simba, uh, despite his father's direct command, he goes off into the Shadowlands to try to have a little bit of fun and finds himself really at death's door. He gets into serious trouble with a pack of hyenas. He's wandered off beyond the reaches of the lion's domain, and now he's trapped. And these hyenas, they know who he is. The king's son, they plan to kill him. And Simba, in an effort to scare these hyenas away, he lets out his most ferocious roar. And it's so embarrassingly weak that the hyenas just double over with laughter, and they start challenging him to roar again to make sport of him. Well, he opens his mouth a second time, and a monstrous roar is heard. So powerful that it sends the enemy scrambling. And that's when we realize King Mufasa, Simba's dad, has come to his rescue. The, the lion cub all by himself uh, was completely helpless. He was not sufficient. He could not protect himself. But in the shadow of his father, he couldn't be touched. And y'all, as we, we're spending a couple of weeks walking through John chapter 17. It's an entire chapter devoted to a prayer that Jesus prays right before going to the cross. This is the last form of ministry we see in him before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. And it's a prayer. And some people have called it the high priestly prayer because most of this prayer involves Jesus praying on our behalf. He's praying for his disciples, the 11 who are in the upper room with him, but then also all the people who will come to faith in Jesus afterward, after his ministry is complete on the cross and he has risen and then ascended. So y'all, as we read John 17, it's, it's incredible to think Jesus is also praying for us right here and now. And there's a sense in which the disciples in John 17, they're like little cubs about to head out into the shadow lands. Jesus is preparing to leave. He will die, and even though he will rise again, he will soon ascend to the Father. And Jesus knows that these men left to themselves, all on their own, they cannot succeed, they will not survive. And so Jesus is praying here that the Father will protect them and preserve them. That the Father will strengthen them and sanctify them as those who now follow Jesus Christ in this world, in the shadows and the darkness, as those who now bear his light. Jesus is praying for us in the midst of a harsh and difficult life. Uh, Robert Murray McShane once said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And so as, as Jesus prays for us, I want us to look into his heart. What is his great desire for those who will follow him in this life? John 17, beginning in verse 6, Jesus speaks to the Father here. He says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. 
Now that, that little paragraph right there might be confusing to us because there's so much language of giving and receiving. We saw it last week also. When Jesus prays uh, in the early verses of this same chapter, He's praying for glory, and He's asking, Father, glorify Your Son as Your Son glorifies You. There's a giving and receiving of glory. And right now there's a giving and receiving going on. It might be easy, though, to get lost in the weeds. What does Jesus mean here? Well, let's, let's take a look again. The Father is giving to the Son. The Son, in turn, is giving to us. Okay, so here, here it is again, verse 6. I have manifested or revealed your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. Okay. So first and foremost, Jesus says, Father, you gave me these men. Now, the, the 11 disciples, if we go back to John chapter 1, the disciples came to Jesus in different ways. Some were sought out by Jesus directly. Others were pointed to Jesus by the ministry of John the Baptist. And then some were just invited by friends and family. You've got to come and see this man that we've discovered. But in every case, regardless of how they came to Jesus, there was a prevailing work of God. Jesus says it. Father, these men were yours, and you gave them to me, and I revealed you to them. In fact, Jesus says, everything, Father, that you have given me, it's all from you, and they have come to know that. Everything is a gift. You know, this is really a profound truth that Jesus is giving us here in prayer. When I stand up here and preach, the very best I can hope to do is just point us to God. Right? That's all I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm trying to inform and inspire and clarify, but ultimately I'm not trying to point to myself or to Harvest Church. We're pointing to Jesus. Right? Because the truth is that only Jesus can actually reveal God to us. Only through Jesus can God be known from the heart. And so these, these men, these 11 guys in the upper room, they're not gathered around Jesus because they just happen to be the best and brightest. They're not gathered around Jesus because they got clued in. They, get, they got in on the ground floor when Jesus' ministry was in its infancy. They figured it out before everybody else. No, no, that's not why we're here either. Not because we're so spiritually mature or astute or sensitive. No, they're in the presence of Jesus because the Father has given them to the Son, and the Son has given them His grace. These men in the upper room are walking miracles. They are only present because God has, has graciously given them to the Son. And the Son has graciously revealed the Father to them. And y'all, that's why we're here. If you are a Christian, you are a walking miracle. The words that come from the Father, Jesus has revealed them to us that we might know and believe. Right? There's nothing about you or me that qualifies us in ourselves. We didn't happen upon this. The Father has graciously revealed Himself through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so this is the basis of the prayer. That the disciples belong to the Father because of the grace of the Son who has revealed Him. And y'all, that's, that's a wonderful gift that we've been given right off the bat. Now, Jesus hasn't actually asked for anything yet. He's just giving us the basis of the relationship. Now, on that basis, he's going to ask for something. Look at verse 9. I ask on their behalf. 
I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Uh, Jesus makes a careful distinction here as to who he's praying for, at least in this context. I do not ask on behalf of the world, he says. Now, we wouldn't take that to mean that Jesus has no concern for the rest of the world. That would be to nullify the, the purpose of his coming, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But y'all, in, in the, if we follow through the context of the Gospel of John, we, we remember that the world has hated and rejected Jesus. The, when Jesus uses that term, the world, he's speaking of sinful and darkened humanity alienated from God, living in rebellion against God. And so this, this world, of course, has rejected God's Son. This world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John tells us. And therefore, the world does not receive Jesus. But his disciples have received him. That's why Jesus told them back in chapter 15, you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's the distinction here. And so it it's, it's, helps us, I hope, to see how we're meant to take these requests. When Jesus prays on behalf of his disciples, this is not a generalized prayer. This is a specific prayer. Father, I'm praying for those that you have given me to choose out of the world, because these are the men and women who will remain in the world after Jesus has died and risen and ascended. And so he's praying specifically for them because he's going to, in a sense, leave them behind to continue the ministry that they've been granted. And so they need to be prayed for as those who now bear the light of the gospel. Two things he asks now. He prays that the Father will keep the disciples, which means to protect and preserve them, he also prays that the Father will sanctify them, which means to set them apart for His mission and His glory. And so uh, the middle of verse 11, we, I kind of cut us off in the middle of verse 11, but right there He says, Holy Father, keep them in Your name, the name which You have given Me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in Your name, which You have given Me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. When, when Jesus asks the Father to keep the disciples, uh, that means more, that goes deeper than just physical protection. Perhaps that's part of the prayer, is that God would protect these men. Certainly he did. But the idea here is not that God would simply keep the disciples from harm or from trouble. And, and y'all, if we recall, even from just one chapter prior, Jesus assures us that in this world we do have trouble. That it is not God's will for us to live safe, neat, happy, easy lives, but we will have trouble in this world as those who follow Christ. And so for God to keep the disciples has to mean more than just keep them from harm. It means that God is preserving His own because they belong to Him. 
God is keeping us in the sense that He keeps us from falling away. He keeps us from from, uh, falling out of relationship with Christ. He holds us fast so that in the midst of trial and trouble, even if we're weak and prone to wander, we're never at risk of being lost because we're being kept, because the Father keeps us. And so there's no risk at all for those who belong to Christ of ultimately falling away from Him or being lost or God changing His mind about us because the prayer is, God, keep them just as I kept them when I was with them. Now, now it's interesting in, in verse 12 when Jesus says, He kept these disciples while He was with them. And really, I, it's just, to me, it's, it's interesting to consider, you know, we, we might joke sometimes about the disciples as we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The disciples were so often inept and clueless and cowardly, confused. It just seemed like anything they, they put their hands to was, was destined for, you know, failure on their own, right? Because they're men. They were just like us. How is it then that these men who are so prone to their own failures and impulsive uh, actions, how is it that they never fell away in the course of three years of ministry? Well, Jesus says that he guarded them, and none of them perished except one, he's speaking of Judas, the son of perdition, or the son of destruction. Judas was the one disciple, if we go back to John 6, Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe in him and the one who would betray him. Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas never believed, and therefore he did not belong to Christ, and therefore he perished, he fell away, whereas none of the other disciples did because Jesus was guarding them. And because they have now received his word and they belong to Christ, he is entrusting them, handing them now to the Father for keeping. When we read a scripture like this, my hope is for me, for you, that we would just stop and marvel together at how committed God actually is to us. So much of our focus, and this is not wrong, by the way, but so much of our focus is on my need to be committed to God. And y'all, there are, we, could, we could go on all day with scriptures that affirm that need. We need to be committed to God. But oftentimes we may miss the fact that God was first committed to us. And and so even just in this prayer to this point, we've seen that it was the Lord's will to reveal Himself to us. To give us life. To make us His own. We've been saved from sin as a free gift of His grace. And now, because God is utterly committed to you, Jesus says, the Father will keep you moment by moment in His grace and in His strength. You will not be lost. If it were up to you, you certainly would be. So would I. But it's not up to you. If you have this nagging fear, or maybe this this nagging doubt, that somehow God's commitment to you is flimsy at best, because you know who you really are, you know what you've done, you know the thoughts that course through your mind on a daily basis, and you're you're just sure that one more step to the right or left, and you're done. God's had enough. This prayer ought to reshape how we think. This prayer ought to change our outlook. If the Lord has saved you by His grace, He will most assuredly 
and gladly keep you by his grace. He keeps us. And we could go one step further here to say, only if God keeps you will you remain a Christian. Will you remain in his grace? I said this a moment ago, and y'all, I, I don't say this to diminish or demean us, but if, if God should leave me to myself, if God should take his hand away from me, I would not last to sunset. I would not make it through the day. I most certainly would fall away. My standing before God cannot and does not depend on my ability to remain fully committed to him. It's his commitment to us. We're we are little Simba in the shadowlands. We are overwhelmed and overcome unless the Father keeps us. And y'all, that becomes, I think, especially um, helpful and necessary for us when we recognize the reality that surrounds us. It's not just the sin in my own heart that threatens me. We live in a world that is at enmity with the light of Jesus. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, this is it's an interesting thing. We see it often in John. We saw it back in chapter 15. When a person receives the word of Jesus Christ and is born again by faith, that man or that woman is no longer of the world. If you grew up in or around church, you might know that language well. We are not of the world. What that means is that we have been granted a new identity. We are no longer what we were. We are now in Christ. We're no longer at home in the darkness of our sin. We're no longer captive to the will of the devil. We're no longer alienated from God. We are not what we were. We are something new. But what that means is, in part, it puts us at enmity with the world because the world is at odds with Jesus. And so Jesus knows better than anybody what the disciples are about to face, what the experience of a Christian will be in this present world, and that's what makes the request so powerful. What's the actual request here? We see Jesus affirming something, they're not in the world. They're not of the world. They're not of the world just as I'm not of the world, right? But then the request is this. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Which is to say, the Father will guard us from the schemes of the devil, but he will not remove us from this world. He will not take us out. And y'all, that's, that's a vitally important thing for Christians to understand, and for us as a, as a church to take hold of. Because some Christians will read what Jesus is saying here, we are not of the world, and we take that to mean that we should withdraw from the world. That because, we are, because the world is dark and we are light, the world, you know, we, we, y'all, you, watch, you watch TV, you know, what's, you know what goes on out there, Right? I don't want to have anything to do with that. Let, let's turn our backs, create our own communes, only eat at Chick-fil-A. Let's do all the things that, that, you know, that good Christians do and, and keep the world as far away as we can. Is that what Jesus had in mind? It most certainly isn't. And this prayer helps us to see this. 
we're not at home as we once were in this world. We don't find our identity in the world as we once did. We now belong to Christ. But a Christian is not a person who forsakes the world any more than we would say God forsakes the world. No. We don't turn our backs to the darkness any more than Jesus turned His back to the darkness. No. He entered in. And so this this section of the prayer, God, don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. But let's not miss the the, the purpose for which God leaves us behind here. Look at verse 17. This is the last little part of the section for today. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus says. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. As the Father sent the Son into the world to be the light of salvation, so Jesus sends His disciples into the world to bear witness to that light. And Jesus says this again, in case we miss it, Jesus will come back around after the resurrection. John chapter 20, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, so also I send you. A direct commission from the risen Christ to His disciples. And so, y'all, God's saving purpose for us is to rescue us out of darkness and then to send us back in as light to the darkness. It's exactly what Jesus prays. Since His will is to rescue us out and to send us in, He says, you sent me into the world, now I send them into the world. So what do we need? If Jesus is going to send us back into the darkness... What do we need? Two things. We need God's keeping, God's preserving, protecting grace. And then we see it again. He says, sanctify them. The second need. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And in verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Keep them and sanctify them. Uh, That word sanctify here in the context means that God sets a a person apart for a special designated purpose, for a divine reason. When Jesus says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself, he's saying that, that he has been set apart uniquely as the Son of God for the purpose of coming into the world and saving sinners. Jesus was sanctified for that special purpose. And so Jesus was set apart for our sake. Now the prayer is, Father, set them apart for His sake. The special purpose that God has for those who bear the light. The special purpose for those whom He now calls His sons and daughters. Bear witness to the truth of the Gospel in the world. Continue this great ministry that Jesus has brought us in on. That the world may know that the Father sent Him. And so the prayer goes, Father, sanctify them in the truth of Your Word. If we ask the question, okay, what does it mean for God to actually set me apart? What is it that sets me apart? This is the main thing. It's the truth of the Word. It's it's the revelation of God that Jesus Christ brought to us. Uh, Way back in, in chapter 16, a whole chapter ago, Jesus made a promise concerning the Holy Spirit. He said, when I leave you, 
you are better off because I will send the Spirit to you. I will ask the Father who will send the Spirit. And the primary ministry of the Spirit, Jesus says, is what? If you remember this, to lead you into all the truth. To guide you into the truth. And so Jesus Christ is praying, Father, sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. That's the Spirit's work to make us, um, to be filled with all the truth that Jesus Christ has revealed to us. That's how we're set apart. It's through belief in the truth of the gospel. And so when we use the word sanctify, at least this is true for me, if you ever hear it in church or in Bible study, so often we take that word to mean I'm growing in obedience. I'm growing in faith. I'm being sanctified. And y'all, those two things don't, are not separate meanings. That, that's what it is to be set apart for God, is that we're constantly growing. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus. And so, yes, we're, being, we're set apart by our belief in the truth of the gospel. And increasingly, we're being set apart because our words, our decisions, our actions, our affections, we're being made more and more into the people of God's truth. We're being set apart by His grace and for His mission. And so, y'all, this is, uh, as we close, this is a prayer. Jesus prays for us. But this is also a prayer that we pray for ourselves. Right? I, I mean, we joked about this last week. There's not, not everything in John 17 is something we can pray. Father, glorify me with the glory that we had before the world was. All right? We can't pray that. But we can pray this. Sanctify me. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Set me apart for your glory and your mission according to the great revelation of the gospel that has saved me and that I might now share so that others may be saved as well. Y'all, I, I mentioned this a minute ago. I want to bring it back around. The Christian life is a walking miracle. We are a moment-by-moment moment miracle. And it may not feel like that. You may just think you're living your everyday life. But if you, if you consider the fact that by faith in Christ, you have been saved from your sins, and you have the very Spirit of God dwelling in you, always leading you, guiding, comforting you, pointing you to Jesus, you have the grace of God keeping you moment by moment so that you might not fall away and be lost again in your sin ensuring that, that God will remain faithful to you just as He calls you to be faithful to Him. That you've been set apart for God's glorious and eternal purposes to bear the light and witness to the world so that others may see and hear and be saved. That's a miracle that we have not earned and that we ought not take for granted that all of these precious gifts and promises, the presence and the power of God is always in us, guiding us, leading us, making much of His glory through us. And all of it comes to us because the Lord Jesus came for us. That's a miracle. There is nothing about your life, ultimately, that is ordinary, insignificant. Everything is miracle. If by faith in Christ you have received God's mercy. And so, y'all, as Jesus prays this prayer for his disciples, you notice he, he's not asking for, for help with parking spots. He's not asking for little stuff. God, help them along. Get them through the day. He's asking for, for God's great work to be achieved through his church 
in this world. That's us. And y'all, I want to comfort us when I say that there's not a single thing Jesus prays here in chapter 17 that's up to chance, that's left untied or undone. Every single word of it is the Father's good pleasure to answer. All of it is certain for those who walk by faith in Jesus. And so as we, as we hear this prayer, Jesus is praying for the disciples. This prayer ought to comfort us. You ought to be comforted by the fact that you belong to God irrespective of your sin, your past, or whatever other obstacles you perceive to be in the way. And God graciously has given you to His Son who has revealed the Father to your heart. Be comforted in that. Be strengthened in the fact that God keeps us and preserves us so that we might never fall away from His grace. And may we be propelled by the fact that God Himself has set you apart and me for His mission and purpose and glory in this world. We are living miracles because God has been gracious to make us His sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, there's so much for us to take from this prayer. We have not even scratched the surface. And so, Father, where we, where we are, I know our hearts, my heart certainly, is to, is to hear but not to really receive. Uh, to hear but not remember. And, and to fail to, to take this into my heart and let it change the way I live. Lord, will you bring this wonderful prayer from the mouth of Jesus, uh, will you bring it home to our hearts that we would not pass it by, that we would not simply nod and, and smile, but Lord, deep in our hearts, Lord, would, you, would we take these truths that they might become really who we are, to see your grace as, as extravagant, to send your Son so that you might be revealed to us, Lord, in perfect clarity. That your grace might be given to us through a perfect sacrifice. That your Spirit now has been given to us to indwell us so that, Lord, there is not one moment where we live apart from your presence and your power and your constant love. And Lord, would you energize us, motivate us, afresh. We are not to forsake the world. You've left us here to bear light to the world, to move forward, not retreat. And so, Father, help us this, this morning to recognize what, what we have been given. Um, not, uh, not a prayer for just help to make it through the day. but Lord, a prayer to live in this world as people who are truly new, truly saved by grace, and truly called to make light shine in every dark place because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask, Lord, your grace to shine upon us, and we ask you, Lord, that you will that you will make us, I pray, uh, uh, wide-eyed and open-hearted.
to receive the prayer Jesus prayed for us. Um, Because he did have us in mind those many years ago in the upper room. What an awesome gift we've been given. Lord, let it define everything that we are and all that we do. In his awesome name, amen.